Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. We are joined today by the incredible Sarah Blackmore, gymnast, gymnastics coach and ninja warrior. Sarah represents everything this podcast is about, using her passion for sport to help positively impact others. My chat with Sarah will be split into two parts, with part two being released next Monday. In this episode, we learn about Sarah's start to gymnastics and the work she is now doing as a coach and in advocating for the future of the sport, as well as getting some insight of how she got involved in the ninja community. You may have seen Sarah's face and amazing ninja skills pop up on your TVs last year and might have even seen her pop up in this year's trailer for Ninja Warrior, which airs this Sunday, the 20th of June on Channel 9. That's enough for me. Let's hear from Sarah. So, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about your sport? You started off in gymnastics. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I started gymnastics when I was eight years old. So my auntie actually saw me at a playground, like playing around on monkey bars. And she went to my mom and was like, you need to take her to gymnastics. And I ended up being on a waiting list for two years before I actually got into a class. And then, yeah, I started when I was eight and progressed all the way through to 18 when I was kind of like forced into retirement from injuries, which sucks. But I mean, it's made me who I am. I love gymnastics altogether. I just think that there's so much benefit that you gain from doing it as a sport. There's just so many different movement things that you, you, you learn, like you're climbing trees and stuff when you're a kid, but you learn how to fall safely Mm -hmm. or you learn that if this hand isn't holding something properly that you're going to slip or whatever it might be. Um, And then on top of that, you've still got all your social skills that you learn and, anything from like your fine and gross motor movements that you start at such a young age without realizing that this is going to benefit my handwriting or this spatial awareness training is going to help me when I start to drive or things like that. And it's really like gymnastics for me has just, I don't know, I can't (laughs) even begin to describe how much it has benefited my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll go into the benefits a little bit um, specifically later, but yeah, yeah. Like I could completely relate with how many benefits transfer over and all all of that. (laughs) When you first started, like what was it about gymnastics that was like, yes, like this is me, this is what I want to do? Um, I just remember being eight and walking into this gym and seeing the setup and I look back at it now and it was like probably one of the lower I'm going to say sized gyms Mm -hmm. that we have in Australia. And I was just obsessed with it. I walked in and I remember seeing the uneven bars and just going like, this is it. This is what I'm (laughs) going to do forever. (laughs) And I just like, remember like grabbing my mom's hand and being like, mom, look how cool this is. (laughs) Oh, no, that's that's awesome. And did that enthusiasm stay or did it start to like mellow out a little bit? 
No, it stayed for a really long time. So I, when I was about nine, was told that I was going to, that I was too tall to ever go anywhere with gymnastics. And I had actually been, they were trying to keep me down a level. Um, So I'd come second at like their club championships and they tried to keep me in that level instead of letting me progress further. Um, kind of going with the oh she's not very flexible and she's she's a bit old and she's a bit tall and she's not going to go very far with it so we'll just keep her here because she'll have more fun here and mum was kind of just like no way my kid loves this like I'm going to take her somewhere where like they let her shine and she ended up moving me to a different gym and from there I kind of went on this massive like uphill journey and just like smashed it like I just trained so hard and Uh, that was kind of always in the back of my mind like they think you can't do this and it kind of like forced me into like I think because I'd gone from like training one hour a week to changing gyms and going to like 12 to 16 hours pretty much overnight like it all just went from like one to like 12. Huge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah it was like a massive jump. And I mean, my coach at the time had seen that I was a hard worker and he'd ended up just putting me straight in with the seniors anyway, because I was the same age as them. Uh And he was then getting me to do all the skills that they were doing. I was like a few levels below them, but I was training with them. Uh So I was learning the same skills as them, but I was three levels below it. So it was just something that I had to go through that process, but I just loved it. I just remember walking into the gym like every day. It got to the point where I was there every day and I would walk in and I would just still be so happy. Yeah, your happy place. Yeah, and I just like, since I was a kid, I've been an adrenaline junkie. So it was kind of just like having new skills that would pop up and I'll be like, yes, I'm doing that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I want to do it now. (laughs) (laughs) Did you find that like, being with the kids that were a few levels higher than you, you were able to, I guess, like model their actions and their skills and you picked it up. Yeah. Quicker. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, my coach at the time, he definitely kind of took advantage of how confident I was with just throwing things. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was very body aware and I, I didn't have a problem with kind of committing to new skills and things like that. So he would really take advantage of that and be like, oh, well, you're not doing the skill. So I'm going to call Sarah over who's three levels below <laughs> you and she'll just do it. Yeah. And I would just get over there and do it. And it was like, looking back at it now, it was like a little bit of psychological abuse between them two, but <laughs> I was just chucking it. I was just a kid. I was kind of just like, oh yeah, that sounds fun. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You benefited from it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But they, like a lot of the girls that I trained with were just like incredible gymnasts. Like they had all of the aspects that every coach wants in an elite gymnast. They had the the bendiness, the strength, the the height mm-hmm. again. It was just, yeah, that, that confidence stuff that they really struggled with. And I think that that came a lot with our coach and the environment that we kind of grew up in there. It was very old school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... I'm sure a lot of people can understand how, you know, I guess we're even in a different era of sport at the moment, like in terms of old school coaches and then the the new age of sport coaching with all the psychology and all the integrations of different things. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a big shift, especially with in gymnastics over the last year I've attended a few different um international meetings and things and it's just something that the sport has a lot to change um and I'm hoping for the 
for the athletes, it gets changed sooner rather than later, because I think that it's still such an incredible sport and there's so much that everyone can benefit from that Mm -hmm. if we don't change it, we're going to, we're going to lose that. And it's really scary, especially for people who care so much about it and they see how much it really can impact your life. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, we'll see what happens, but we just keep trying. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you can be a part of that change because you are coaching. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I um, was coaching full-time up until the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. So that was something for me that I, I just love coaching. I love working with people. It gives me a purpose. Well, it helps me get out of bed in the morning. It helps Mm -hmm. me drive and it helps me kind of help other people. So I, I just love coaching. I mean, I coached in an elite environment before so that was about 18 to 19 or sorry from 14 up until 19 and then moved over to a more recreational based program when I was about 20 yeah and since then I haven't gone back (laughs) (laughs) did you find there was like a major difference between the elite program and then the recreational program yeah yeah absolutely it was um it's it's scary how different it is Mm -hmm. um you see you see a lot of the performance base pushing and results it's very result driven if you don't place at competitions or you don't attend competitions or things like that it's it's really shown in the way that you're coached so and then recreational is just like you're in there to have fun no one cares how you do if you want to do a competition cool we'll we'll register you in a competition but there's no drive for that. That's not why we're there. And the purpose is really, it's very different. And you can Mm -hmm. see that the why that you're there is so different. Like for competitive-based gymnasts, it's to place, it's to win, it's to go to competitions, to go to the Olympics, to do all of those things that are very Mm performance-based. And then over here, you've got it. And it's like, I want to learn how to do a (laughs) backflip. Yeah. And it's just a skill. Yeah, that's right. You've got this kid that trains one hour a week and is like, I would like to learn a backflip before the end of the year. And you're like, that I can do. I can work with that. That's wicked. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess like the the benefits that these kids that want to do a backflip in 12 months time, they're going to get the same, you know, immense reward than the people who are trying to win a championship. Exactly, exactly. And I just found that the system within gymnastics at the moment, and this is worldwide, this isn't just in Australia, my my coaching style in particular is very frowned upon because I am a very positive reinforcing kind of coach and I really enjoy having fun and laughing and having jokes and dancing and singing and being all over the place to make sure that those kids that are coming in each week, they're having fun Yeah, because it's more than just a sport for them. And I think that that's something when we were kids that was really missed. So in that sense, like I would love to go back to coaching elite gymnastics one day, but I just don't know if the sport's ready for my kind of coaching style. And I just don't think that me as a coach, I don't think it would be accepted for me to come in and, oh my God, like sing trolls. I (laughs) I dance around, I'll have a playlist on and it'll be like trolls or frozen and I'm running around the gym singing it. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That's very frowned upon. <laughs> but you think about it and you think about these kids that are coming back. Like I've done a little bit of swim coaching and I was mm. put in the category of the fluffy coach because I would make sure my kids had fun and like it was good because I was working with the juniors and that was my place. But yeah, like, you know, you'd want them to come back just 
to have fun and just because they enjoyed it and it was their safe place and it was their hour or two hours a week that they got to be themselves or they got to you know be in the water or be in the gym exactly exactly I had um a couple of girls I stopped coaching their group in particular um a few years ago and they made me cry on the last day it was like it was so beautiful we had sat down in a circle and I'd kind of just gone around it was a group of teenage girls and I'd just gone around and I said I want you to tell me something that you're thankful for this year and we've gone around the circle and everyone's given like a skill that they've accomplished or whatever it might be and I get to the last two girls and they say oh we want to combine our answer and I was like okay cool like you both got the same skill this is awesome and they like dead set looked me square in the face and said we're thankful for you this year because we would have the worst day at school or at home or something like that. And we would come in and you would just make us happy. Oh, wow. And they were like, and there was no pressure for us to train. We just would come in and have fun. And if we trained, it was a bonus. And I honestly just like bursted into tears. And I was like, you guys, what the hell? <laughs> I just got chills. Like I've got goosebumps right now hearing yeah, that. <laughs> it was like, it was so overwhelming to hear that. And then it just like reminded me that, this is why I've shifted and this is the reason because I can impact young people in that way without having like that massive push for you have to compete Mm -hmm. or you have to get this skill by this date or else you're not allowed to compete or things like that because they're still people they've got their own stuff going on in their life like we need to respect that and we need to kind of help them be grown-ups because they're going to be grown-ups soon (laughs) yeah definitely and I think the like I, I love that there's a competition pathway for so many potential mm. athletes. And I think it's important, you know, in terms of the world of sport and funding and all of that stuff. But I think at the end of the day, like there's such a small percentage that's actually going to make it. So what, ab- what about the other 99%? We've like, exactly. we need something for them. Exactly. Yeah. And I find that a lot of clubs, that you see that aren't succeeding are very Mm competition-based and you see that they drive a lot for all of these competitive athletes and then you see them fail within five years Mm -hmm. because they're they're not pushing for the fact that these kids are still growing. This is still their learning and their development stage. We can't take that away from them. Mm. Like, And gymnastics only recently has started to allow people in their early 20s to go to the Olympics like oh my gosh it was normal for 16 17 18 year olds to be at the Olympics and that's it if you're over 18 you're 19 20 21 you're old god (laughs) yeah yeah so it was um there was a girl that I actually follow on TikTok and she's um she's an American gymnast and someone had commented on one of her posts and had said oh do you think going to Tokyo is realistic? I mean, like you've had a year off because of COVID and you're 21 now was this comment and she just ripped them apart and she was like, we need to stop doing this. Like, this isn't okay. Yeah. Like, yes, physically as gymnasts, we are more likely to do things under that age, Mm -hmm. but psychologically we are more ready to do those things above that age. Yeah. And we are more likely to deal with, 30 hours a week of training when we're adults because we understand it Mm -hmm. instead of being 13 14 and training 30 hours a week you spend more time in the gym than you do with your own family Mm -hmm. like that's crazy (laughs) yeah certainly (laughs) crazy (laughs) 
Gosh, that yeah, I, I can't even fathom how. <laughs> I think gymnasts are one of those, like I grew up as a swimmer and I was like, yeah. you know what, Swim, swimmers put a lot of time in the pool. You know, yeah. you compare them yeah. to cricketers and footy players and netballers and the training yeah. that we did was quite a bit. But then you'd go, yeah, actually, sure. gymnasts do more. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is more because like we would spend a lot of time in the gym, but mm. we still didn't go to those things with our friends and we missed out on school camps. And I remember year 10, I wasn't, or year nine, maybe, I don't know. It was one of the the years I wasn't allowed to go on school camp because it was too close to our Victorian championships. Oh, so I wasn't allowed to miss that much training before, before the champs. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of like, as kids, you miss out on that stuff. And like, yeah, we're doing so much more training, but it's like we're missing out on so much stuff. And that, like, I've seen a big shift. I have some friends that are still competitive coaches now, and I've seen a big shift in that side of it, which I love. Yeah. Like Simone Biles, for example, her coach um, had released like a big thing saying basically like, Simone's success hasn't come down to the fact that she's, I mean, obviously she's an incredible athlete, but it also came down to the fact that Amy, her coach, let her live. Yeah. She let her miss training on a Friday night to go to a party with her friends or she let her leave two hours early from training so she could go and do this thing at school or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. She actually allowed her to do those things instead of being like, no, this is your life. And then and you can see it. Yeah. And you see it as well when they retire. Like, yes, I think that's a big, you know, we, these people aren't just athletes. They're, they're humans who have yeah. a whole other life once they mm. stop competing. And if their whole life has been built on, you know, just getting a place and training and all of that, then mm. if they're not well-rounded people, I think personally, I think as a coach, you've failed them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you've now sent them out into a world that they have no idea about. Yeah. You've sent them out into this environment where they go like, okay, but who's going to help me with this? Because you have a coach that tells you what to do. As soon as you walk in that gym, we four hours of a training session and we would stand there and be like, okay, but we haven't been told what to do next. Hmm. And then go, what do we do? And they go, you should know what to do. And you go, yeah, but you have babied us our entire like, careers or since we were kids you can't expect us to just know what to do yeah you tell us what to do and it's funny like in the ninja world I've spoken to a few gymnasts and just said do you find it really hard to look at a course and know what to do know how to attack it yeah yeah and they've said back to me 100 percent. like I have had to switch my mindset to figuring it out on my own instead of having someone telling me what to do Mm -hmm. because we would go to competitions and before we would start our competition we'd have our coach say okay with your back salt you need to do this with this you need to do this you need to do this you need to do this concentrate on those things go which can be a really good thing but I think when it's used when it's overused yeah then it drives you down this path of you walk into the real world and you don't know what you're doing (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and that's a good segue because last year you competed as a ninja yes. warrior. Yes. So yes. we saw your face on our TV screens, which is very, very cool. How yeah. how did you get into that? Like, I think you were training the ninjas beforehand. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah. So as a gymnastics coach, I I don't like to say I was their coach because I feel like I definitely wasn't their coach. (laughs) Um, I was more like their supervisor and making sure they didn't die in training. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so they they trained or still train at the the gym that I transferred over the recreational based gym. So I was their supervising coach um, twice a week. And it was probably the two hours of my week that I was just pulling my hair out going, I don't want to be here. <laughs> Coming like from that elite gymnastics background and then seeing the stuff that they would do, it was insane. It drove me <laughs> mental. I'm much better with it now. But it was like weird parkour flippy things off walls or climbing up the trusses, like flipping <laughs> off the truss. And I'm just like sitting there like they're going to die. Why have they made me responsible for these people? Yeah, yeah. No one ever got hurt, but I was just, yeah, that was crazy. But, yeah, so um, I supervised them. Um, they also, <laughs> yeah, they were also my my really close friends. So Charlie Robbins and Zach Stoltz, they forced me to my first ninja competition. I was not interested at all. <laughs> I had kind of been saying to them for a while, no, nah, I'm just not interested. I never watched the show or anything like that. I just didn't have any interest in it. I was very bad at being bad at things. Mm-hmm. My gymnastics mindset. I didn't want to try it unless I was going to be perfect. (laughs) Type A. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. So they had convinced me to do a competition with them. They needed a female. So it was a group of three, two boys, one girl, and they needed a female in the team. And I had just gotten back from Bali. It was like three days post Bali trip. And they were like, all right, you're competing. We're We're paying for you. You just have to turn up. Yeah. I was like, whatever. Like, I don't care buy me lunch and it's a deal (laughs) and anyway so we went and did this comp and I ended up getting the fastest female time of the day which for me I was like all right I'm good at it I'll do it now (laughs) (laughs) like that wasn't so bad (laughs) yeah but it's against everything I say to my kids like I'm like you don't always have to be the best you just have to be your best and then I'm there going I don't want to do it unless I win (laughs) I think we all have a little bit of that in us. (laughs) Oh, so bad. I'm better now. I'm much better now. But yeah, so we went and did that comp and I just loved it. I was obsessed with it from there. I was like, this is so fun because it was like a weird mix of the gymnastics that I had been taught and the gymnastics that I was now teaching. Mm. It was like this parkour, this ninja based stuff. And it was just combined together. And I just was obsessed. I thought it was the best thing ever. (laughs) Like, because you watch it and you're like, how did, how did you jump that? Or how did you hold on to that? And I think I watched you grab onto a pole and I was like, like what? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. And you don't like, I, the way I look at it is when I was a kid, I was doing that stuff at playgrounds. Yeah, true. It's just a big playground for me and all the other big kids out there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and it looks like fun, like as fun as a playground. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you get like some awesome rips and stuff on your hands. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Good one. I need to peel that off today, actually. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> just just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> like we might have to cut that in and show the visual <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> Go nuts. <laughs> oh, so that so you did that and you progressed through to the semis last year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So originally I didn't want to go on the show because obviously Ash and I are together um, and I wanted to, 
only go on the show if it was going to be based around me as an athlete yeah. and I didn't want to be on the show as Ashlyn Herbert's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So it made it really tricky for me because I was very like in a position where I did all my auditions and everything without mentioning him. Yep. And I just pretended that I didn't know who he was. <laughs> and it was kind of like one of the questions in the audition phase is, do you have a partner? And then it's yes. If so, how do they feel about you going on the show? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> they'll be there with me. So <laughs> he's also there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they obviously found out in the end, but I just was like very interested in going on the show as like a strong female athlete mm-hmm. and just doing my thing. And a lot of that last year got taken away from me as an athlete and I was just Ashlyn's girlfriend mm-hmm. so I mean yes I got to the semis and that was incredible I think I was very lucky though because I was one of the later people to run in my heats so I had kind of because you can't see anything that's happening but you can hear everything yep so I had had like a bit of an idea that there had been people failing at certain obstacles. And I remember like when they showed us the run through, cause they take us through um, the course before we run it mm-hmm. just to make sure that we know all the rules and that it's safe and things like that. And I just remember looking at the doorknobs and going, I'm not getting past that. <laughs> and I just looked at it and I was like, nah, cause I was only like six months out of my elbow surgery. And it was just like, looking at it, like, I don't have enough grip strength to get through that. I know Mm -hmm. I'm not getting there. And I had had a feeling that everyone had kind of come off there. So I just ran there as quickly as I could because it was like, (laughs) if you get there fast enough, you will qualify. And I did. I was like the second last person to qualify. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I just ran as fast as I could. (laughs) I was like, I can get past these obstacles. I just need to get to that one really fast and then I'm fine. And then you can fail, but you've done it quicker than everyone else. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I failed faster. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it still worked. You got through. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So to get through to semis six months after my elbow surgery and dislocation and all of that was like insane because I, I didn't even think I'd get past the first obstacle. <laughs> yeah. So with your rehab for the elbow, like what did that entail? I'll, I'll kind of like go back to the start of that whole elbow. <laughs> the saga. <laughs> yeah, the saga. <laughs> um, so I dislocated it when I was snowboarding. Um, I kind of just slipped on some ice and put my arm back and just bang, popped it out. It was pretty gross. But I had gone into the hospital at Hotham and the guy that was there was an elbow specialist, which is like crazy. And he had said to me, yeah, you dislocated it and had gone through everything with me. And um, a few days later, I'd gone to Frankston Hospital and just said, yeah, I dislocated it at Hotham, blah, 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 blah. And they like looked at me and they were like, yeah, but there's no breaks. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and and they're like you couldn't have dislocated it I was like bro I know my body yeah (laughs) so it like made that process really hard because my normal sports doctor had broken her wrist pretty much the exact same time Mm -hmm. so she had had her wrist operated on and was out for 12 weeks so I then waited 12 weeks post dislocation until oh. I saw her. And I mean, like I couldn't straighten my arm past like 45 degrees. 
it was just like I 12 weeks of not being able to use my arm and I didn't want to waste any time going to other people because I knew that they were going to have the exact same response and I was like I'm just going to wait and as soon as she's back I'm the first person in to see her and I saw her on the Friday and then was in for surgery on the Monday oh wow like as soon as I saw her she was like yeah but I know you well enough to know that this is serious Mm. And then I went in and ended up having two ligaments recode and it was like this whole big process. And they were like, yeah, but you can dislocate your elbow because you have flexible joints. Yeah, Your joints just bang, pop out. So yes, it's possible, but they don't realize you're not the average Joe that's just walked in off the street. Like you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know, that's what I tried telling them. And I didn't bloody listen. <laughs> Oh, and having your elbow out of action, like when I broke my elbow, and thank God, like it was just a fracture, but like the whole thing with you, I had to have it immobilized fully for two weeks, but then I had to start doing like rehab on it. Otherwise you lose movement to your elbows, like specifically, like it's not like a wrist where you get it back after six weeks in a cast. Like you have to start your rehab at week two. So like the fact that you had to wait for for 12 weeks. (laughs) It was insane. Like it was just such a pain because like, obviously I had known that it was bad. Mm -hmm. And I I remember when it happened, I was by myself as well. And it was the first run of the day and I just slipped on ice. Like it wasn't even anything enormous, of course. (laughs) And I remember like hitting the ground and then just grabbing my elbow, pulling it back in and just like being on the ground, panicking, going like, what do I do? Yeah. I'm normally like very logical in those kind of situations, but I was in the position where I was by myself in a place that I'd only been to for like, we'd been there for a couple of days, but I didn't know my way around. Mm. I didn't know how I was going to get my snowboard off me and then get to the bottom of the slope to then get help. Like there was no one around. And I was just really lucky that there was a random guy who kind of like came past at the same time. And he like looked over at me and was like, are you okay? And I was like, "Mm -mm, it's bad. It's really bad. Oh gosh. You almost leave like little emergency tags every time you go down one of those things. Yeah, I I personally do because I'm the most accident prone person in the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> I find a way. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, so the the rehab for that was that was pretty insane. That was probably the longest rehab I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it took me yeah, I, pretty much just before we filmed season four until I could completely straighten my arm again. Oh my gosh. So that had happened in July and then we'd filmed in March. Mm-hmm. So from July to March is how long it had taken me to be able to straighten my arm again. Oh my gosh. And, and that, that was, was March last year? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So just as COVID hit. Oh, so how did like filming go with COVID? <laughs> Oh my God. It was insane. It was honestly insane. I think we'd had, well, actually normally they have a lot of spectators, like Mm -hmm. a lot. And this year, oh, sorry, last year, they culled it a lot. They culled it down to make sure that it was according to the guidelines and all of that. Yeah. But the first, I think it was heats and semis were normal. And then after semis, it was only family and friends that were allowed to be in the audience. And then I think it was by stage two or stage three in grand finals, there was no audience. So they had to actually cull down a lot of their staff as well. So because they have 
like hundreds of crew members, they had to cull it down according to the outside rule. I think it was like 200 outside gathering rule. Mm-hmm. And I think they had something like 400 crew members. Oh, my gosh. So they've got the crew members and then they've got the athletes. And I think they had like 12 or 13 athletes that made it through to that stage. So they were like, okay, cool. So we have 180 crew, crew members to work with. Yeah, they filmed until the sun came up. It was oh, insane. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that would have been really hard. And we, I guess you were in the position where you were lucky that, you know, your partner was competing there. So that support network when there technically wasn't supposed to be one was kind of there. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, we're all really close. The the ninja community is just incredible and everyone supports everyone. So we're all really close in that sense as well, which makes it like awesome because it meant that we weren't alone. Yeah. Although we couldn't have our family and our friends there, it still meant that we had our ninja family there yeah yeah and it was still really beautiful because I mean technically we appreciate it so much more than people who aren't doing this sport because Mm -hmm. we know how hard it is like we're not the average Joe sitting on the couch going like oh I could do that with a beer in one hand and popcorn in another yeah (laughs) which is what we do (laughs) yeah 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 we're we're looking at this obstacle going oh this is really hard Yeah, you got to attack it this way or do this way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think in that sense we're really lucky and we're lucky because we do have such a supportive community and everyone just loves everyone and the people that aren't so supportive tend to be out of the community pretty quickly anyway. So, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, that was a very interesting, <laughs> a very interesting month. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. And I guess it's kind of good because it was your first time competing in it so yeah yeah, like you didn't really have have too much to compare it to yeah but also like I didn't have a massive audience (laughs) and I was so happy with that (laughs) you're like yes I can do my thing without people watching (laughs) yeah yeah because like speaking to any of my friends that have done previous seasons they're always like you can't hear anything you cannot hear one person in particular like there is so much noise happening. You have no idea about anyone over there. Mm. And I could hear my family. As soon as I walked out, I could hear my family oh. like chanting. And I just was like, oh, this is the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would. And, you know, having that support, I knew, I know when like I'd walk out before a swimming race, I'd look in the stands for my mom or there was one time my dad came and watched me race and I was like, oh, look, oh. dad's there. And like yeah, that, yeah. that feeling of knowing that they're there, like it's the best yeah. feeling in the world. Yeah, it's just like having your little family on your shoulder and you're like, I got this. Yeah, they're with me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So it was, yeah, it was really beautiful. I was very lucky. <laughs> yeah. And let's talk about like any other significant milestones in, in your journey, either uh, gymnastics or in your ninja journey. Yeah. So, I mean, most of my ninja journey, I've been injured. I'm not going to lie. So I actually had a full ankle reconstruction last year as well. Oh my gosh. So in the past two years, I've had three surgeries. Oh dear. You are accident prone. I'm so accident prone. So, um, yeah. So my ninja journey hasn't been as big as what I would have hoped it would have been. I mean, last year, before COVID, um, the plan was to go international and do some of the international comps that we'd qualified for. Obviously, with COVID, that never happened. 
So I ended up having my ankle Rico because I was like, well, we're just sitting around, so I may as well go get it done now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I had that surgery and then we've just started to get back into comps again now. Um, we do have a national championships coming up soon in October. So we've already qualified for that one. So we'll end up driving over there again. Um, And hopefully I won't have any kind of recovery or injuries that I'm dealing with and I can actually perform at my peak. I don't know. We'll see. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, in terms of gymnastics, I spent pretty much the whole of 2009 really pushing for that win that that thing that we were talking about before that in that environment I was very like very competitive I didn't like second place I didn't like third place I only liked first place which is a normal 12 13 year old thing to do anyway yeah but yeah so that year I think I attended one competition in the entire year that I didn't win which was freaking weird um (laughs) so that kind of like it's really funny. I was speaking to someone about this the other day that created something inside my mind that made me believe I was unbeatable. Mm-hmm. And as a young teenage girl, you just think you don't have to work for it anymore. And mm-hmm. after 2009, I just stopped trying. I just went, Meh, I win. I yeah. walk in and I win. And I just stopped because it, it was VIX that year and I had won VIX, but it was the qualifiers for VIX that I had fallen on beam. And it was my first fall at competition ever. And I'd fallen on beam and I was the last person to qualify for finals. Oh. Yeah. And then I ended up winning VIX that year. And after that, I just had this idea in my head that I was the best and <laughs> I was unbeatable. I didn't need to work for it anymore. So I like would still go to competitions and still place, but I would be like, why aren't I winning? <laughs> <laughs> this is not the first place. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Why aren't I winning? Like, this is silly. Like what the hell? And then as like, someone actually said to me like, oh, you know, you have to train to like continue to win. And I'm like, no, I don't. That sounds really stupid. And then like a young teenage girl, 14, 15 is when I kind of started to like rebel a bit. And I started to go to those parties instead of going to training or I started sneaking out and doing like those things that I was really held back from doing. Hmm. Um, So yeah, my gymnastics like elite path pretty much stopped after that year, after 2009. I mean, I still trained, but I never trained like I did then. Yeah. It wasn't worthy of the win. If you, if you want to say it like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember like looking at it and being like, well, I won. So that was my goal was to win Vicks and I Mm -hmm. won Vicks. So what do I do now? And it was kind of like this journey for me is over now that I've done this particular thing. And then I went off to those parties and I went off and hung out with all of the naughtiest people in the town because I knew that that would annoy everyone around me. Yeah. I was just a brat. I was a total brat. (laughs) I feel so sorry for my parents. We're sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I still say now, I'm like, oh, I don't know how you handled me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so for for me, I kind of stopped even progressing. Yeah. After 2009, yeah, when I was 12 and 13. I just went, nah, I've had enough. And still now I'll look back at it and I'm like, you're such an idiot. <laughs> yeah, like imagine what could have happened if you had have put the effort in. But then at exactly. the same time, you mentioned it before, the, you know, the whole thing with gymnastics was you couldn't have a life and you couldn't do all of those things. Yeah. And so you would have missed out on, you know, teenage years. 
Exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot of things that I look at and I'm like, oh, you could have done this. And then I'm like, yeah, but I wouldn't take it back because mm. it it made me a lot more resilient. I think I I was I was built to create change and I wasn't going to create change if I stayed in that environment and I yeah. stayed working on the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It's like <laughs> a robot. Yes, that's exactly it. And we like as coaches, we would have names for athletes, going back to that for a bit. Um, we would have names for athletes and they were the robot athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you would just do it. They mm-hmm. they were robots. They could just do it. And they didn't know how to dance. They, they could never dance because they were robots. <laughs> but that they can execute the skill that you just asked them to do. Yeah. Yeah, the robots, robot gymnasts. Mm. And then there's me, the naughty gymnast. <laughs> <laughs> the one that no one can control. <laughs> that, that was me. That was me to a T. I was just, I was very difficult. I made everyone's jobs really hard. <laughs> <laughs> but think about like the fact that you're now, you know, in the position where you're coaching that next generation. Like th- I think that's something special because you've been through it and you've seen it. And now yeah. you you have that influence over that next generation. And- yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's definitely something, I mean, I have a lot to do with Gymnastics Australia at the moment and FIG, which is the International Federation. So, I mean, I've been passing on my advice on how I believe we can make the sport better. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the sport as a movement base is incredible. Mm-hmm. There's just everything else that we're missing. Yeah, Like this bit in here with all the movement and all the execution of the sport is incredible, but there's still like the social aspect. There's still the fundamental learning aspect mm-hmm. where we're wanting kids to write really well and we're wanting them to understand maths and we're wanting them to do this, but their minds are so focused on their sport that they're they're forgetting about the rest of their childhood. Yeah. And I think like... I I personally have been very vocal <laughs> um, about what I believe should change in the sport, but also have been mindful that I haven't been involved in an elite environment for a long time. Yeah. So this is from my experiences, not from what is currently happening. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've really had to try and push as well, because um, recently there was full investigation that is being put against Gymnastics Australia and the way that they've treated athletes and things like that. So I've had to kind of be in a position to say, yes, but this is from our experiences when we were kids. Yeah. And there might, there might still be people that practice that way and they need to be removed from the sport completely. But also there are people that are doing the right thing and they are doing good things and we can't forget about them because I don't think that's fair on them because they've removed themselves from those kind of environments knowing how they treat athletes and how they treat parents and the environment is a negative environment and they've started to create something positive. Mm -hmm. And they're seeing like the, the backlash of this problem and it's so unfair for them. Yeah, yeah, and like, but they're the ones that are going to do the work to shift that culture to something positive. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's made their their process a little bit harder, but it's something that has needed to happen for a really long time. I mean, after Athlete A was released, 
on Netflix, there are a lot of gymnasts that started to come out and speak about their experiences in the sport and me being one of them as well, submitted formal complaints and things against people and clubs and practices and all of these things. But I feel like there were a lot of people that only did that step and they Mm. were only interested in getting how they were treated across, which 100% I agree they should have done that. Um, And then there were the the little few of us that (laughs) said, okay, how can we make it better? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like we've identified that there is a problem. Let's not leave it at that. Let's do something about it. Yeah, Yeah, because we can still see all of the positive things that gymnastics has to offer. Mm -hmm. So we still are in a position to go, okay, this is a problem. What do we do? Yeah, Yeah. How do we fix it? How do we help Gymnastics Australia and the International Federation? How do we help them make it better? And to be honest, I don't know if the International Federation is ready to do it yet, but it's just a process. you got to wait and see. (laughs) That brings us to the end of part one of our chat with Sarah. Part two will be released next week. But in the meantime, if you've liked this episode, head over to our Instagram page at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart for some exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top-level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.